The battle of wizards and warriors continues with iron swords. The evil wizard Malkil will take the shape of the earth, wind, water, and fire. Farewell! The fate of the world is in your hands! You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willette. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Hi everybody, welcome back to episode 243 of the Piercing Wizard podcast. I'm your host Lola Slider from here in Glasgow, Scotland, and with me today is... Ryan, I'm in Nashua, New Hampshire, and we were kind of... We were kind of talking before we started recording that sometimes I forget what episode I'm on. So I have to like look it up before we record a new one. And we're at episode 243, which is, I feel like a lot. I mean, not if you compare it to like podcasts that get paid to podcast, but like, I feel like 243 episodes is a lot to talk about body piercing. So the official invitations for instructors speaking at APP this summer have now been sent out and um, we were both pleased to receive invitations to instruct again which is very exciting. I've been asked to do more than I've done in the past so definitely having a little bit of a careful what you wish for moment because I did want to do more and now I am doing more so I'm gonna have to do a lot of practicing and preparation to make sure that I can deliver the standard that I want to. Obviously, I've instructed APP before and I've done the class that I'm going to be doing at other events several times and online. So I'm very confident in the the material and what I've been asked to do. Um, but I do think that there's just there's always that vibe of like, this is the biggest place you could be doing this. And it's a completely psychological thing. Um, and it kind of leads me into what your role is this year, you're going to be a speaker coach for APP. And in that role, we'll be assisting and facilitating instructors that maybe need a little bit of help and support, whether it's technical or with their verbal or physical presentation as well for classes. Um, how do you feel about doing that role this year? I, I'm happy to do it. Kind of like you. I, I remember having a conversation with you last year where we felt like we could have been utilized as a as more of a resource because last year we didn't we didn't do a lot of classes so this year you're definitely getting um your dreams and nightmares in one where you're you're teaching a bunch of stuff in in front of peers colleagues friends all that uh mm -hmm. this year i i'm not teaching a ton but i'm doing this new role um presenter coach basically so every year the the board does a really good job of trying to get new people teaching classes for diversity, inclusion, and just having like a, a different voice. But sometimes that means that it's a person's first time teaching a class or their first time as a public speaker. And sometimes you can have like little things that you might not have seen without that experience yet, uh, like how to put together a good looking PowerPoint presentation and how to not clutter it with too much text and how to make sure that you get your, your main thought across in your allotted time without going over, going under, and, and all those different things. So I have uh, 
some experience with with writing classes and performing classes. So I'll be one of the the presenter coaches for this year. And I'm looking forward to it. And we get to teach uh, our safe practices in the, the piercing room class again, which is really one of my favorites. I've been doing that class for quite a while. And I really like watching you present it too. I think that we have like a good rapport. We have like a good um, like vaudeville presentation style for it. As if there's something going on between us. Yeah. People you can talk. you can feel the romance. Yeah. I think that the speaker coach is a great idea. If something like that had been available when I'd started doing classes, I absolutely would have used it. Um, I think that if you are somebody that's quite nervous about public speaking or just don't know really where to start with it, then you should utilize everything that you possibly can to make it easier for yourself. Because like I say, so much of it is psychological. Um, but there are also lots of practical things that you can do differently as well. Um, I know that you wanted to maybe do a longer class about um, or a longer conversation about preparing classes and writing classes and that kind of thing. But um, I remember the first time that I was instructing a class, which was actually with you, I got there early and I went into the space and I had my uh, co-worker at the time go stand at the back of the room to like talk and then tell them if I was being loud enough to get a good idea of how loud I had to be to do the class because I know that that's always a big issue especially if you if you don't have a very loud voice to be able to figure out like what that volume is meant to be so that you're not just shouting and yelling so that was one of the first things that I did was like okay I'm shit scared of doing this but like, what's something I can do to make it easier? And I was like, well, I'll find the space so I know what it looks like. So I'm not intimidated by it. So I know where I'm going to be. So I know how loud I have to be. So just using all of those little resources. And just if you are if you are very nervous, thinking pragmatically can be really helpful. Yeah, I, I think it would be a good idea, maybe a good resource for people if we recorded a, a future episode that was kind of like tips for writing a class. Um I know that between now and, I don't know, early spring, late spring, people will be like putting in a lot of work on their classes. So I think that that might be a, an upcoming episode. We can just give some some helpful tips and pointers and some advice on like if if you're new to it or even if you're experienced with it, have you thought about these things? So maybe we can record that as, a, as an upcoming episode. So before uh, APP, which is June? June. Is APP June? Yes. We're going to APPE in Spain. In Spain. Um, and that's going to be uh, April. Is that right? Mid-April. Yeah. And I, I'm really looking forward to that. I have never been to Spain. I have never uh, really? been to... Ever? Yeah, I've never been to Spain. Yeah, I've been all over Europe, but I've never been to Spain. Like Spain, I've always felt pretty intimidated by it because I have little to no Spanish skills and I don't want to be that like tourist that's just helpless without somebody there to, to translate for them. I've only been to Spain once and it was for two days flying out to get a tattoo, getting it done and then flying back. So I was in Barcelona for two days just to do that. And I really liked it from the very little time that I spent there. I remember thinking like, I would love to come back here and spend more time. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I haven't really spent much time in Spain, but I've spent an enormous amount of time with the Spanish as a group. I've I've worked with so many Spanish people. And not only that, I seem to find them in every aspect of my life, like my lawyer's Spanish. I had a dentist who was Spanish. So it's like I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely 
enamored with the Spanish people. They all seem very lovely and friendly. So I'm not I'm not scared of going to Spain. So we haven't had our classes assigned yet. They haven't really selected the the final classes and schedule and everything. But through some of the conversations that that I've had with the organizers, uh, I, I think it's going to be a really good time. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. APPE in, in mid-April. So awkward segue. I wanted to mention that I have a, a new video that I just published on on Patreon. Uh, my last video uh, was showing a pubic piercing. So this one, I wanted to kind of steer more towards a video that I think more piercers would find helpful, interesting, useful. And um, also a lot of piercers have been and saying that they've been doing more oral piercings lately. So I, uh, I got a, the opportunity to record a labrette piercing. And that was a piercing where if you started in the 90s, if you started in the 2000s, it was like one of the most common, simple, staple piercings. You were doing them all the time. But over the last however many years, it's not like the hottest, most fashionable oral piercing. Like for a while, it was bites, pairs of stuff, and then philtrums, and then vertical labrettes, and gestrums, and all, all these different variations on lip piercings. But uh, I got to record uh, just a labrette piercing. A customer came in and they're like, I just want a labrette with just a plain ball. And I was like, cool. It's just like a really classic style. Uh, and then when I went to go and do it, sometimes like when I do a piercing rarely, if I only do it once a year or, you know, even less than that, uh, I have this little moment in my mind where it's like, how am I going to do this? Because I know how I do all the other oral stuff and it's almost always freehand inside out pressure marks and all this other, you know, cool, cool stuff. The labrette piercing, I was just so nervous about like, well, I don't want it to have an angle. I don't want it to be off center. I don't want it to be crooked in any way. I just want to nail it. So like what would give me the highest level of confidence? And it's just falling back to my um, comfort zone of, of clamps because I did so many of them over such a long period of time. So I recorded a video of just doing a classic lip piercing with a clamp. Uh, and I was really happy with, with how it came out. And I got to, you know, mention some other little tips and tricks too about like biofilm and downsizing and stuff like that. How often do you do librettes? Not terribly often. Um, maybe once or twice a month. I do, I would say three times as many filtrum piercings. Um, so the filtrum is a lot more popular. And I think one of the reasons for that in like 2024 and the past few years has just been that jewellery display and showing off a really nice piece of jewellery has become more what the piercing is about. And obviously the top lip under the nose is a really nice location for showing off gems and, and prong set pieces and things with really beautiful settings. Whereas under the lip, sometimes it can be a little bit more of a food catcher. So I think that um, for a lot of people, they're maybe favoring the top because it has a, a slower rate of dental erosion typically. Um, and it does tend to show off the jewelry a little bit nicer. But yeah, I mean, we're we're still doing a fair amount, but it's not a popular piercing. Um, and it, for me, it's definitely, as I've said on the podcast before, piercing makes me very nervous. Um just in terms of execution, I think that lower central librettes are up there with septum piercings in that they're very easy to get a tiny bit wrong. And when you get a tiny bit wrong, it looks fucked. <laughs> and, you can't, and you can't just pull it. You can't just pull it like a septum. I see yeah. people like people 
people pill septums sometimes and they redo them, whether at that point or at later date, you can't be doing that with a lower lip piercing that's going to potentially just piss blood all over somebody's chin. If you don't nail it, you just have to live with it. They're going to walk out onto the street and you have to live with your shame. Are you sure you're from Glasgow? <laughs> uh, yeah, Lebret piercings, uh, I, I would like to do them more often. And I, I wouldn't necessarily agree that they're bound to erode the teeth and gums unless you just leave the initial jewelry in forever, which to be honest, like loads of clients do. So in the video, I mentioned it, but that's why it's always so important to not spring the concept of downsizing on someone like at the end of a visit or for a follow-up visit. Like I hate it when uh, people have a very predictable problem, but maybe something wasn't mentioned to them during the aftercare or like the, you know, the disclosure portion of, a, of an initial visit. And then they're like, oh, my, my teeth and gums are really irritated. And people are like, well, it's because you had to downsize it. And it's like, what's downsizing? Nobody ever mentioned downsizing. Like I like to tell people right up front, just so you know, there'll be a follow-up visit, some, you know, maintenance and all these things. Do you understand the term downsizing? Are you familiar with that? Let me explain it to you a little bit. Uh, because like I went through it the hard way. I have my lip piercings, side bites, whatever, on my lower lip and my upper lip. And I completely wrecked the the teeth behind them earlier in my my life when I wasn't really investing a lot into myself and my 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 own personal jewelry. So I, I scratched up my enamel on my teeth, uh, eventually eroded the enamel. And my dentist was like, hey, you need to give me like a thousand dollars to fix this. I did, but now like I wear my jewelry. Does the term nesting, do you ever use that? Do you like, you ever use the term I'm nesting? With, I'm familiar with the term. I don't typically use it. Yeah, I don't I don't ever explain it to customers in, in like that specific term because I think it's too nuanced. I, I, I think like it, it requires a perfect fit and an investment and time and whatever and blah, blah, blah. For my own personal piercings, I have them nested where they're short enough to sink into my lip a little bit, but not so short that they could heal over. So they're not in contact with my teeth or gums and it's pretty perfect. But like you really, it would be difficult, I think, to really fully explain that to a client who doesn't already have a lot of piercing experience because they might hear like, well, downsize it too soon or make it too short or make it this or make it that, which can all be problematic. So um, I like lip piercings a lot. I like talking to clients and I, I sometimes I, I'm probably guilty of giving them maybe a little too much information ahead of Did time. Did you ever notice that we have the exact opposite lip piercings? Wow. Because I've Yeah, I've we never, do. I've never you have like upper lip and lower lip central and I have upper lip and lower lip sides. Yeah. It's like we're fated to just be able to smooch each other without whacking jewelry into each other. Yeah. Except for your giant stone in your face. Yeah, sometimes I take it out and you really don't like it because it leaves a big empty hole. <laughs> well, it's because you drool out of your, your big old hole. Hey-o. Anyway, so... uh Labrette video. It's available now. Patreon.com slash Ryan PBA on the $15 tier. Talking one last thing about videos is I know that I've been kind of bugging you for a while now, um, where if you get the opportunity to record a rare variation that you're really good at, I would like you to. And you got the opportunity. And I really want to say like, thank you. And thank you to the, the client who let you record it. But uh, what'd you record? Um, so I recorded a reverse PA and um Reverse PAs in, in the UK are, I would consider them to be a more common variation in the UK than in the US. 
because apodravia piercings aren't always or often tremendously well suited to people that have foreskins. And most people in the UK have foreskins. And I'm not saying that you can't have an apodravia done if you have a foreskin, but it's less likely and it's less common and it's more prone to have issues for lots of different reasons. So um, in the UK, clients who might be interested in having an apodravia done will maybe go for the reverse Prince Albert instead, because it's something that's easy to wear if you have a foreskin, if you're still intact. So I think that that's why there's maybe more of them in the UK than there is in the US. I mean, you know, maybe not in total, but, you know, per person, if you like. And um, I didn't I didn't really know that or think about that until I talked to more American piercers about how unusual or rare a piercing it is for them, because um, it's not even the rarest genital piercing that I'll do or offer. I think that I've done quite a large amount for the average piercer, at least. And I think part of that's because I've always done genital work ever since I started piercing. And, um, you know, I've been doing reverse PAs for over 10 years and offering them as a service. So um, I get recommendations for uh, for clients from other piercers that aren't offering them and that kind of thing. So I think it's just one of those things that you just stumble into stuff that you're air quotes good at, you know, through different circumstance. Um, like it's not like I have all these clients wanting it done. It's that the clients end up with me, if that makes sense. So I uh, was able to do some recording, which came out, I think, pretty well, like in terms of the video quality. And we were thinking about making uh, a Patreon video for it. And I straight away had some kind of reservations about safety. And we don't have to get fully into it on the podcast and everything. But I think sometimes with piercing, we talk about safety like there isn't this element of skill and experience that's that's intrinsic to making something safe. Like you can have all the best equipment, all the best tools in the world, but unless you have like time and skill to do something well, it's it's going to be considered unsafe. Like, for example, um, doing a tongue piercing without clamps, super unsafe if you don't know exactly what you're doing and have the skill and the confidence to execute that. Cheek piercings inside out, cheek piercings, period, but cheek piercings inside out. Anytime you're lowering a needle into someone's mouth behind their bite, so incredibly dangerous. And it's not dangerous if you know what you're doing and you're confident and all of those kind of things. But if you're not, super dangerous. So I think that that's something that's sometimes missing from these educational videos is that sometimes we're sharing things to share the information. And the impulse might be to say, well, that looks dangerous. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It is dangerous. It's dangerous to put a piercing needle under someone's clitoral hood. And it's still something that we do often in work because we're good at it and we know what we're doing and that's what makes it safe. So it, it's one of those kind of push and pull things where I felt kind of conflicted about sharing it. I think because it is quite unusual, especially in America, that there's a lot of value in showing what that looks like. But at the same time, acknowledging that, yeah, it's not it's not like a safe, easy thing to do. It's incredibly uh, advanced and incredibly high risk if you aren't exceptionally confident with what you're doing with it. Yeah, I've been piercing for a while and I've only done two, I think, ever. And one of them was like just a year ago. So I I kind of fell back on the way that you did it, but I kind of felt like I needed training wheels uh, and and not, I didn't try to do it exactly like you tried to do it because I just didn't have the confidence yet. 
I think that the next one, if if there is a next one for me, like whenever I get asked to do another reverse PA, I think I'll feel even more confident. But um, yeah, it was a bit nerve wracking, especially with the method that you utilize. It's it's a, a really smart method and it makes sense. Like um, there's a lot of logic behind it, but it is just as intimidating as the first time I tried piercing a hood from the bottom up rather than mm -hmm. top down into a receiving tube. So I think it'll be a really good video. I think it'll be helpful because like you said, for an American piercer, it's even more rare. Like if you think it's rare as a UK piercer, like compared to the US where most clients are going to be circumcised. So they're not really asking for that. They're asking for other things that are easier to heal without foreskin, apodravias and lower PAs and things like that. But uh, I, I really like your method. And yes, I would love to make a video with you. And I apologize in advance if I am um, stern producer Ryan when we make it. Very high standards. Well, yes, but it's because I, I care about I care about the content, just like with the, this podcast and with the videos, like I care about it. I don't want to just bang it out and throw a video out there and whatever. Like I, I want to make videos for baby piercer Ryan who had no access to anything and had to waste a lot of years just trying to figure it out on my own. Um, so I, I you know, I, I take it really seriously, teaching classes, making resources, making educational material. I take it really seriously because, um, Somebody's got to. Hey I think that that's why I was con contemplating, um, like sharing the the reverse PA with your platform, is that I don't want to be seen as encouraging people to go out and do this, but at sure. the same time, like where else are you gonna be able to see like a proper dissection of this? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like that balance of what do you share, what do you not share, yeah. and um, I think that with your platform, like it's all piercers and it's all very lovingly and painstakingly edited by you so that it gives me a chance to like properly articulate what it is that people are looking at to try and explain it because like when we talk about it or I talk about it with other piercers it makes complete sense but when you see something in a video that looks quite high risk it can yeah it, it looks scary because it is it's a dangerous thing to do um, if you don't know exactly what you're doing. And I definitely don't want to diminish that and be like, yeah, this is how easy this is. It's not easy. It's it's incredibly challenging. And I'm really proud of being able to to deliver that level of work when I have to. Yeah. Well, it's because you're a really, really good piercer, if I haven't said that yet. You've today. never told me that ever. Never ever. No, <laughs> never. You, Lola Slider, are an excellent piercer. <laughs> uh it's on tape. So. Yeah. Uh so anyway, we're we're gonna start to get into like the meat of the episode. Um, I think the bulk of it, we want to talk about shadowing and what shadowing in our own definitions kind of is, but also is not. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to hit one question from uh, our submissions list. It was submitted by by people through Patreon, different questions to bring up for for videos or podcasts. And this is one that does come up every now and then and uh comes up in troubleshooting classes from time to time and uh, some people look down their nose some people uh argue for or against whatever for it but it's chamomile tea and chamomile tea can be delicious to drink very soothing to drink but also sometimes it comes up in conversations related to troubleshooting um 
do you pronounce it in some sort of other way or do you say chamomile? Chamomile, chamomile. Chamomile, chamomile, tea. But basically like the a concept is you uh, steep a tea bag in hot water, chamomile tea, you steep the bag in hot water, then you drain a little bit of the, the water out of the, the hot bag. And then you just kind of like use it as a, a warm compress on your piercing for a few minutes. And I know that some of the logic is, well, chamomile is naturally anti-inflammatory. So using it as a compress, um, I know that some people just think that any form of soak is silly, um, that anything that falls into like holistic is, is silly, but what, what are your, what are your thoughts on it? I have a feeling I'm about to lose all of my pro piercer points that I gained uh -oh. doing the reverse PA. Okay. So I don't recommend clients use chamomile tea bags. I don't I recommend. So I don't, I don't give that out as a piece of advice, yeah. uh, except in, there have been one or two rare circumstances where nothing else has worked. And it's like, either you give up on this or you give it more time and you'll say, Hey, Maybe this will help, you know, as a as a last ditch attempt. So maybe once or twice a year. But beyond that, I don't generally give it out as a, as advice. Um, and the thing is, though, I don't deter it as advice either. So when a when a client says to me, "Oh, I, I was wanting to put," you know, I've, I usually put chamomile tea bags on things, or someone suggested chamomile tea. What do you think about that? I don't really demonize it in the way that a lot of piercers do. Like I've heard piercers saying, like. Oh, you you shouldn't ever recommend this because someone could be allergic to chamomile, and I just feel like, well, you know, tell them tell them to maybe have like a little like a patch test, or do they have any history of being allergic to chamomile? Is that a common allergy? Is that something that affects people at high level? Like, is it happening often, or could, or is it something where you could just say, hey, are you allergic to chamomile? Is that something that you're aware of? It just feels like um, when I hear that it's dangerous. I think that the bar for what's dangerous has been set awfully low. And um, the, the truth is that the, probably one of the main reasons that I don't recommend it is someone will end up burning themselves. Um, like when, when I uh, give aftercare and troubleshooting advice by email and I'm recommending a warm compress, I have to explicitly write, do not put boiling water on yourself. Because like sometimes you just, you can't credit that, that, basic level of understanding that you would assume that any person would know especially if they're dealing with a piercing a lot of people's common sense kind of just flies away like things that you and I would do to help prevent swelling for example um, a piercing customer would never in a million years think to do so I think a, a lot of the time people do take your instructions really literally um, so that would be more my concern and uh, and I don't tell people to do that but if somebody uses it and says that it works for them or is it okay if I try this I'm not going to really tell them that it's a dangerous idea or a bad idea I'm going to caution them about the temperature that's for sure but it, it does lead to an interesting question though and that's what do you suggest when sterile saline's not working because we all have our tricks I have mine I'm not going to fucking tell everybody them because everyone will have something to say but we've all got them all the piercers I know, you, everyone has a little, well, why don't you try this? And nobody shares it because we just rip into each other for anything that's not just sterile saline and leaving it alone. So that is my number one. That's what I'm pushing everyone to do. 
But even working with the best jewellery in the world, giving out high quality aftercare, um, there are situations where someone is really, really struggling to heal. And I'll always say to clients, it's either something coming from the outside or something coming from the inside. So we have to figure out what it is. Um, but other than that, like, what do you what do you say to a client when they're having issues, when sterile saline is not working? Do you just keep repeating yourself over and over? Or are there any other approaches that you take? And uh, I do think it's a shame sometimes that those kind of little, um, you know, tips and tricks and things that work quite well for us kind of don't always get passed down or tried out by other piercers because it's just considered hack shit, you know? I never thought chamomile tea bags would be controversial. Well, they've always been there. They've always been out there. Uh, the whole time I've been piercing, I, re I remember like some of those early conferences that I would go to, APP conferences in like the early 2000s, like that was like talked about as like a do this in aftercare and troubleshooting classes. And same thing, like I'm never going to put tea bags in my aftercare brochure. Like it's it's not something I'm going to say, like, I want to give people uh, general information that will be the best information for the widest group of people. And for me, that's sterile saline, try not to touch it. That's really going to be the foundation of my aftercare for almost everything for almost everyone. Uh, but I think that there is some, some, some logic behind the chamomile compresses, but I, I really... I'm still not convinced that it's like the herbal benefit of the tea. I think that it's the the warm compress. And like right, you said, not, not hot because it's mm -hmm. like that, that leap of logic where it's like, well, okay, if you're supposed to clean your piercing with saline once per day, obviously if I put a salt paste on it 24 hours a day, that's going to be way better. Like that same leap of logic, I can easily see someone burning their piercing with like boiling hot, like a scalding tea bag that they took out of boiling hot water and pushed on their piercing immediately. Like, yeah, it's difficult to have those conversations about nuance with people and just say warm only. But I, I, I don't think that I can be fully convinced that an herbal anything is going to be more beneficial than a warm compress against a piercing because I feel like that would be increasing circulation uh, getting bad stuff out, getting good stuff into the site and, and aiding healing, just like in the way where I tell people during healing, it's a great idea to thoroughly rinse your piercing under warm running water in the shower because mm -hmm. that helps get rid of crusties and that helps bring in some some additional circulation. So I can really easy see, easily see the logic of a warm compress can be helpful. And I, I if, if the herbal side of it is like 1% more helpful, okay, but it's not like I'm going to be telling people that in my aftercare form right so i think that there's just this this happy space to inhabit where it's you know i'm not going to recommend that you try that but if it's something that you want to try if it's something that you've had good results with before or that you'd like to try out i'm not going to tell people that it's incredibly dangerous for them any mm -hmm. more than taking paracetamol or ibuprofen is incredibly dangerous you know what's the what's the american equivalent of ibuprofen or paracetamol tylenol is it something like ibuprofen. Tylenol? we have oh, ibuprofen well, in america yeah well, i didn't know because you didn't have lempsip well okay like the, the brand name would be advil so like obviously people can be allergic to that and yeah. if someone said to you hey is it okay if i take a paracetamol you would be like 
Sure. I mean, as long as you're you're not allergic and it's in accordance with the manufacturer's instructions, there's, there's nothing terribly wrong with that. Or See, um, the American side of it, the American piercer liability side of it is even if somebody asked me explicitly, like, is ibuprofen okay? I would never be like, yeah, because then that, that could be construed as medical advice. So all I would say is, well, oftentimes I would say if you need blah, 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 you take whatever you would take for a headache, but consult well, a doctor it, or pharmacist. It's the same here. Like I don't ever yeah. recommend people take ibuprofen. Oh, sure. But people often ask if it's okay. And I'm like, yeah, like if you if you take it and you know you, you don't have any contraindications to taking it, yeah. then th it's not going to have a negative effect on the piercing is what I'm saying. Um, so, you know, just little things like that where uh, I think like there has to be some deviation sometimes from just saying just use sterile saline on it forever. Um, even if it's looking at, like I was saying before, but how if there's something long term that's wrong with your piercing healing, it's either coming from outside or inside, even if it's just talking with your clients about what those factors could be. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot worse things you could do for your piercing than sit and put a chamomile tea bag on it. I mean, like, at least you could sit and drink the chamomile tea. Well, since you've made the mug anyway. And yeah, but also I feel like it's important to say out loud if there are like clients listening to this, we're not telling you to take a mug of chamomile tea and use it to soak your piercing. That's not at all what we're talking about. <laughs> but this is this is the thing. Like sometimes it's hard to give advice because yeah. there is that huge, you know, like you have to allow for so many degrees of misinterpretation. If you oh, yeah. were to say to someone, try a chamomile tea bag and they can't get chamomile tea, they'll be like, oh, well, here's a different kind of tea. Maybe I'll try coffee. And you're just like, nope, nope, nope. Reverse, yeah. back, stop yeah. with this. Like, cause I, if I anybody have ever would bring up, yeah. if anybody would ever bring up, oh, I heard that this could help. Could this help? I'm probably not going to be like, yeah, sure. Whatever. I'm probably going to be like, why don't you try just a warm, clean, wet paper towel compress, like a hot, wet paper towel compress. Why don't you just try that instead? Or like, you know, a good thorough rinse in the shower. But, um, I mean, when I, when I had my labret scalpeled, I was given Arnica and I've never used Arnica before. And I don't know if the Arnica helped. And I don't know if Arnica does anything because it's one of those products that when you read about it, it's like, it may do this or it may Witchcraft. do that. Yeah, but I, I but I fucking took the arnica because I was because it was because it was like maybe maybe it'll help and it's not going to hurt me so I might as well have have a go so like I don't see chamomile as this like for so for context right I don't know if you can remember this or if this is something that was more of a UK thing but there was a time period where people were advised to put peroxide on their piercings. Oh yeah, like, do you, here too, yeah, but so, I, that didn't last. Okay. I think beyond the eighties or nineties. Hopefully. Right, but but I heard about it, sure. and I'm and I'm, I'm a lot younger than you, you know. Quite. Thanks for reminding me again. <laughs> but like, what I'm saying is like, so compared to that, a chamomile tea bag, it just doesn't set off like alarm bells for me. Um, so I would, I would, um, if if it was someone something that somebody wanted to use, I don't think that it's dangerous to the extreme as it somehow made out to be. Does it help enormously? Like you pointed out, probably not. But there, there are certainly worse things that you can put on your piercing that people have indeed put on their piercings. Um, so uh, it might not be the kind of thing that you want to give out as aftercare. But I wouldn't, 
like vehemently discourage a client from from trying it if that's something they wanted to do. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we can we can maybe revisit this in a future troubleshooting episode because when you say, well, what 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 happens when saline doesn't work? Um, just not to go down the hole, but the the main thing that I've been realizing in the era of just use saline, just use saline is the same leap of logic. Like people are just keeping their piercings wet and damp all the time thinking that like, well, if I just spray it one more time, that'll fix it. But I think a lot of times the excess moisture can lead to its own problems. So we can leave that conversation for another day. But I always, I always like to mention that, that like you can't just go from one to a hundred and think that it'll be a hundred times better. Yeah. So now that we've got all the, the, the little stuff out of the way, I wanted to talk about shadowing because I think every time you like you lead into the APP conference and you start to get into that springtime, summertime business picks up, people get more motivated again when they get out of like the winter humdrums. And I, I would think and hope that that would also increase the, the amount that people are out there shadowing, trying to learn, trying to mentor and give access to information and all that stuff. So I've gotten some, some, messages, emails, inquiries about shadowing uh, over the last couple of years, because I, I think that we we mention it often enough in videos and podcasts of like, well, my studio is is open and available to if people would like to shadow. Um, I know that you've had people in your studio before, and it's like sometimes people reach out and it's their first experience with shadowing. It might be their first experience, like really going to another studio for whatever reason. And sometimes they might have an, an, a different idea or expectation or concept of what shadowing is. So I thought it could be just helpful to share your opinion of what shadowing is, what my opinion of shadowing is, what we might kind of do in our own studios just to give people a, a point of reference. So you have a lot of changes going on with, with your studio over the last several months and over the, the next few months to come, there'll be lots of changes. So do you think that shadowing is something that you're open to in, in your studio or is that something that you were doing when you were working for someone else? I don't think I did shadowing um, when I was learning to pierce. There, there wasn't the same level of um, opportunity that there is now. There wasn't the same volume of studios like, I think that there are 10 times as many studios and piercers operating in Scotland now than there was when I started piercing. There's, it's, it's just the difference is so, so enormous. Um, there really wasn't a, a lot of places that I would have been able to shadow. And I think at that point, there was also more of a sense of hostility between businesses, not to the point where you weren't getting along, but you wouldn't, you know, tread into each other's spaces in quite the same way unless you were good friends sure um you wouldn't contact another studio and then ask about shadowing there it would be seen as well you're not are you not happy where you are what's going on you know like it would it would be kind of like a potential gossip mine i think yeah. when when i started fortunately a lot of that has changed now and um i think that shadowing was becoming more and more popular and then covid happened and um, obviously that curtailed any shadowing. And since then, um, I don't know if maybe the the huge increase in 
video streaming on lots of different platforms, but especially TikTok and, and YouTube as well, has um, maybe limited the amount that people want to shadow because they feel like they're getting to see a lot more online now. And it's like, oh, well, mm. what's the point of shadowing? Which is a completely different thing than watching a, an edited 90 second or three minute long video, 100%. But I think all of those kind of factors have maybe led to some people um, maybe looking to shadow a little bit less, I think, and um, maybe not putting themselves out there quite as much. What about yourself? Because you used to have people shadow all the time. Like when we started dating, I remember there would be times you'd be like, oh, this person's coming, that person's coming. Like it, it felt again before COVID, like there was a lot more shadowing going on. Yeah, before before COVID, in lots of different ways, and I'm sure that this will resonate with more than one person out there. I I lived a completely different life and I had a completely different career path. And COVID changed so many different things. A lot of things bad, but some things for the better. And and with the whole like appointment only studio model that I have now, shadowing doesn't feel uh as as easy for mm. I don't know how to if I can really even articulate it more than that. Like before COVID, when it was a walk-in day, I would have people shadow on Saturdays typically because that was typically one of the busier days for walk-ins. They'd be able to see more stuff. People would come in and we it would just be this really fast-paced day. And all I would do is at the start of the day, I would say this is your little five minutes of safety talk. You can stand here, but you can't stand here. You can touch this, but you can't touch this. Little things like that. And then it was just like, let's get at it. You can watch, you know, I'm going to ask every client, is it all right if I have another piercer in the room to shadow? Uh, and, and as long as the, the customer was cool with it, um, then then I was cool with it. And they could just like watch and, and shadow. I think now in an appointment only age, when I've been asked about shadowing, if people are like, oh yeah, I want to come up on like a, a Thursday, just be like, well, you're probably not going to see a ton of stuff on a Thursday. It might be fully booked, but it might be fully booked with like a bunch of downsizes or jewelry appointments or checkups, wellness checks, simple, simple things, whatever. Like the, the types of piercings that we do are a little bit more... I don't know, mainstream is a lot of earlobes. We're doing a lot of earlobes, a lot of simple jewelry changes, a lot of downsizes, a lot of maintenance things. So sometimes I would feel self-conscious where it's like, well, yeah, you can shadow, but you might not be seeing me do like an opadravia and a geesh and inverted nipples and a deviated septum and, and whatever. So, uh, but yeah, I used to have people shadow all the time. Not like it was every week, but it was pretty often. And now with it, being the appointment only, I give people kind of options. You can come on this day, you can come on that day, but it needs to be regimented. I don't want any surprises anymore at work. Like what day will I have a, a, a counter person on that day to kind of help? Or will I be there by myself and will have somebody shadowing be like extra stressful for me or, or whatever. So it has changed a lot over the last few years. And I think you make a good point as well about the private appointments making shadowing feel a bit more wooden because it's like you know what you're going to be doing ahead of time and it kind of puts the onus on you as the host to like provide interesting things to look at. Whereas when you were doing walk-ins, it would be like, well, anything could happen. The day could be dead. It could be busy. We just don't know. So there was that level of spontaneity and I think that that would add to like the, the positive energy of the experience. Whereas when everything is strictly regimented, 
um, sometimes unless you have a, a day packed with stuff that they really want to see, it is a little bit more, you know, you kind of you just get what you get, which isn't really different from walk-ins. But I think it's it's like about the the mentality of knowing what you're doing or not knowing what you're doing. And then there's also the element with doing private appointments where if you're asking customers not to bring friends, it does seem a little bit cheeky to be like, well, I bought I brought a friend and they're just <laughs> standard watch. But your yeah. friend can't come in because of COVID. Yeah. This person, do yeah. I loosen? No, they're going to. Well, be I've, I've loosened that a little bit. Like now, I I do allow people to bring guests, but my policy is still. But you can only have one guest in the piercing room with you. You can have other people in in the lobby for jewelry and have it be an experience, but you can only have one person in the room with you while you're getting pierced. I think that there's definitely in in the UK at least. I don't know if it's the same in America. A little bit of a a kind of business growth period happening where more where more piercers are looking to open up their own studios instead of like just renting a room or being given a room to work in in a tattoo shop which is still like an absolutely fine method for running your own independent piercing business as well but I think more piercers are looking to set up their own businesses um, which I think is super cool but I also think that it's a great opportunity for shadowing that if there's not a lot of piercing um information and education that you can take away absorb everything you can about how the business runs because when I was guesting at Blue Lotus in Newcastle I learned so much about that like their booking system their displays and uh, and how they manage clients with their counter people like I got a counter person from seeing how amazing their counter people were like I'd never seen counter people that were that good before that I was like oh my God, this makes so much sense that you would have this person in this role. Like I'd never seen that done that way before. So even just things like if you're going to be visiting a business and maybe you're thinking like, oh, I hope I get to see something cool today. It depends what you're looking for. So yeah. obviously it's it's going to be great if you get to see a piercing done by a piercer, particularly one that you admire or whose work you're interested in. That's fantastic. But failing that, Try and learn everything else that you can learn because learning how to run a business kicked the shit out of me. Like, I had no idea how bad I would be at running a business until I tried to run one and then had to learn all of the things that I was doing wrong. So, like, that's the thing where now if I had the opportunity again, I mean, I think I paid pretty good attention the places I visited but that's the stuff that I just wanted to absorb like a sponge. Like, so, how, you know, how does your booking system work? And like, what, you know, what program are you using for this? And how do you handle bookings versus walk-ins? And how are you pricing this and that? And like, that's the stuff that's going to be so, so helpful for people moving forward, I think. Well, I want to unpack a couple of different things. Like there are, there are a few different things I want to talk about in relation to shadowing. One is it might overlap with some other things like shadowing and guest spotting are different things. Shadowing yeah. and private instruction are different things, but there can still be a lot of overlap. Like I had the opportunity to go and do a guest spot. And I, I think it was really similar to what you're talking about with Blue Lotus. I had one of those experiences at Pinpoint and I got to go there and be like, oh, this is what a real piercing shop does. Like, so seeing how Christiana and Sala and uh, Ina and how, how like everybody who was at the studio at the time, like how they were running the studio was really 
inspiring. So it's like I was there to pierce and do a job, but I would, same thing, kept my eyes open, kept my ears open, and I tried to learn as much as possible. When you're shadowing, sometimes people might have the expectation that it's like I'm there for the the host to be teaching me things. And it's like, maybe you're going to be going over some stuff, but it's not the same thing as like personal private instruction. Shadowing in the most simplistic form for me is like, well, a shadow is just, they're just there in the room. They're, they're watching, they're listening. Uh, and what I tell people when they come in is like, I encourage questions, but only once I'm done with the client and the client has left the work area. Like, I don't want you asking questions in the middle of a piercing. I don't want you interrupting the client when we're having a conversation or I'm going over the client's questions. Like you're there to observe, take notes if that helps you, uh, whether it's paper or on your phone or whatever. And I'm happy to go over any questions after the service is completed, but it's not like a, I'm not walking you through what I'm doing necessarily. And everybody's going to have their own personal preference for like how they will host someone. Yeah. But for me, it's like, Observe, and then let's go over your questions after the clients left the work area. Something else that like, I, I think can also be helpful, and I'm trying to be like political in the way that I form my thought on it. I would, I would feel way more comfortable having someone come into shadow if they're a piercer from three hours away rather than a piercer from three blocks away. Because like, Yes, I know we're in an, an information age and this community and everybody's inspiring. And it's like, oh, yeah, we want to have local piercer meetup groups and all that stuff. But that can't always be the reality in every community, in every space, in every area. Like I've got piercers where if I was like, anybody can come in whenever they want. And like a piercer from like one shop away was like, yeah, I want to come in. I'd, I'd, I'd kind of be uncomfortable and be like, well... Are you just going to be like taking the information you get from my studio to strengthen your studio, which is potentially competition for mine? So I would feel way more comfortable having people come in for a wider space. And if it's someone who's really close, close to the point where they could maybe create a conflict of interest, I would rather say like, well, you know what? Maybe it's not the, the best idea for, for you to come in and shadow with this studio because of the conflict of interest. But I've got great friends an hour away that would be fantastic, whatever. Do you feel like there's any benefit there or do you feel like I'm kind of stepping on my own thought? No, I think that that's completely fair and valid and that the concept that any kind of resistance to letting anybody in your business is gatekeeping is fucking right. bullshit. I think that it ignores a lot of nuance and a lot of feeling that I just think I just think it's bullshit. I think you're just pretending to, to feel that way, to look a certain way. It's completely fine to feel like, you know, listen, you're right down the street from me. Yes, I want to be supportive and I want us to, you know, there, there are businesses around me that I refer people to and that refer people to me. And we have a positive, healthy relationship. Like there are other studios in town and we send clients to each other for different things. Or if I'm not available, I'll say, hey, you know, maybe they can help you out of this place. So, yeah, we have a positive relationship. But I think having those boundaries in place where it's like, you know, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable. If someone respects you enough as a person to say that to you and say, like, this is making me feel a little bit uncomfortable, like, I'm really sorry, that means that they actually, like, quite like you and care about you, in my opinion, and they care about the the collegial relationship that you have and want to keep that healthy and maintain that boundary. There are so many piercers who I really like that I don't follow because it's like I support them and I want them to do well, 
but I don't want to see what they're doing all the time because like I like to focus on what I'm doing and I don't mm. like to think oh they're doing this should I be doing that like that that's a train of thought I can really fall down easily so yeah I like to sometimes have a healthy degree of separation I think that's completely valid and normal and that if anyone tries to make you feel bad about that I think that that's a little bit unreasonable and childish and that where you can have a conversation with a colleague and say this makes me a little bit uncomfortable would it be okay if we did this like that's somebody that actually respects you and has a healthy relationship with you that can say that to you. Sure. Yeah. Like I, I like to facilitate resources for people, but mm -hmm. it, it would be a conflict of interest if I was the resource for a local competitor. I, I yeah. still wouldn't want to be the person who's like gatekeeping and be like, well, no, you can't come into my shop. You're not allowed. You're not permitted. What I would rather say is like, well, that's potentially a, a conflict of interest, but why don't I help facilitate a shadow day for you at this other studio that's just an hour away or whatever. And like, they're great people and they can help you out too. Um, I don't want people to like have to avoid hard conversations. Like I, I know that everybody can feel socially awkward with it. Yeah. That, that's the thing. I think that if it's a conversation that makes someone makes somebody uh, uncomfortable and they're just going to avoid it and just leave the message and pretend they never saw it. Like, that's what will quite often happen. Whereas if you have a relationship with someone that's healthy enough where they can say, like, I'm not super comfortable with this, I think that's a really thoughtful person that you're talking to that can say that to you. And I think that um, gatekeeping in that respect is another word people love to throw around when they're mad because they've been told no in response. Yeah. Like I, something I've said before is that if, you, if someone that you don't know that you never talk to doesn't wish to give you specific business advice, that doesn't really seem like gate gatekeeping to me. That just seems like, you know, like not really wanting to to enter into a dialogue with a complete stranger about elements that affect their business in a very specific way. And listen, piercers copy off each other. You know, you do it. We see them doing it. I'm sure that everyone's done it. You've seen something in a shop and you've gone, oh, I fucking love that. That's such a good idea. And well, like, it's not the, go on. Well, if you look at my studio, uh, some of the best elements of my studio were stolen from Pinpoint, were stolen from Piercing Experience, were stolen from Rockstar, were, you know, were stolen from all these Thrive Studios, uh, you know, up in, up in Canada. I, my whole concept of like a two-story shop, a lot of it came from there and oh, yeah, so, all that. Like, yeah, people, uh, piercers copy from each other all the time in, in a way that's not in any way intended to be malicious, but they do. So I kind of feel like when when piercers pretend that that doesn't happen, it's a little bit it, it just feels a bit childish to me. And if somebody's prepared to say to you, like, listen, I think I love the healthy relationship that we have, but I'm a little bit uncomfortable, like hosting you here for this, knowing that you're just going to be right down the street, like using this information. It just makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because I'm trying to build my own small business here. Yeah. I don't think that that's a I don't think that that's a terrible thing. I don't think that that's gatekeeping. I think that that's respecting a healthy boundary and that you know if it if it's too hurtful for you to hear that, then you're probably not in a position in your life right now where you should be uh, making those requests from people. Well, that that aside, um, I think almost everybody that I have shadowed, I, I've never I've never actually had to say that to to a person like i think that this would be a conflict of interest so thankfully i never had to say that like i've had people come in and they've shadowed single days multiple days whatever but what i 
thought was really effective for for myself and for the other person because like you said boundaries is just set those boundaries ahead of time um in in writing in email like if somebody contacts you and they're like i want to come shadow be like that's cool this is how my studio defines shadowing i'm happy to offer you these things this level of access this day this time this whatever but i don't really want people to come into the studio with zero expectation of what will happen during the day. So it's like this, that, whatever. I, I have had a few people that have shadowed since 2020. And when we had more strict COVID policies, it was like, okay, these are our COVID policies. Um, this is any sort of like information disclosure. This is what you can sit in on. This is what I would prefer you to not sit in on. What were you looking to to do for the day? And still that whole concept of like, you can observe, but the questions are after the client leaves. So I think just like setting healthy boundaries, healthy terms, healthy expectations can can make a world of difference when it comes to something like shadowing. I think that something that's nice about shadowing as well, that's like a real world thing that doesn't exist through a screen is that it's real life. It's not edited, nothing about it. Is, uh, is able to be cut out or hidden. And there have been times that I've seen other people work and it, I'm including like myself in this as well. There've certainly been times that I've um, had errors happen at work where you're right in front of someone else and they saw it and you saw it and it like you blow a transfer or something doesn't turn out right or you drop a piece of jewelry or something like that. Um, I remember I was shadowing a piercer once and, um, you know, like really skillful piercer doing work that I don't know how to do. And then like first hour, first day, they just dropped a piece of jewelry on the floor and um, they had to like sterilize another one because it was a stamp studio. And we just had to stand there for 10 minutes making small talk with the customer. And it's yeah. like and it wasn't it wasn't embarrassing or or anything like that. But sometimes it's just nice to see that other people have those moments at work. It, and it, it, you're not special in that regard. It doesn't just happen to you. Like everyone has these little things that go on that yeah. trip up their day. And I think that that's something that's really good about real world shadowing as opposed to just watching people do the movements online because there's right. so much online you don't see. And even in posts that people share where they're sharing a mistake they made, they've still probably edited out the worst bits. And uh, And it's good to just kind of like, you know, it's not good when things go wrong, but sometimes it's good to, in fact, one of the first classes I saw you teach something went wrong. And I think it might have been the first year uh, that we met, you were teaching and you were doing a live piercing demonstration and the connecting pin snapped when you were doing a tragus piercing. And there must have been like 80 people. It was like standing room only. People were like, oh, we're all going to watch Ryan do this thing. And then um, like something happened where something actually broke mid piercing and you were like, well, this has never happened before. And then you just had to stand there for 10 minutes in front of a room full of people just acting casual while someone went and sterilized you another thing. And it was just like, and it it went on for so long. And I was like, I would be dying. I would just be dying if that was me. But you you made it seem so normal. And it was like, you just weren't even worried. Well, luckily, I don't even remember what you're referencing because- I it is so normal when stuff like that happens. Um, I, I I do know that like a handful of times when people have come in for shadowing, some like real world element happens. And I, I really like that because like 
if you have a mistake, like every piercer has little errors, unforced errors or forced errors, whatever you, you, you make mistakes. But I think like the real line between like an experienced piercer and an inexperienced piercer is like, how do you handle those mistakes? How do you resolve it? And how do you move forward? And how do you do it with, with grace and professionalism and keep the client calm and happy and all that stuff. And like, if you want to come in and shadow and just see the perfect version of everything, sure, that could be helpful. But I also think it's probably even more helpful to see the slightly imperfect version of things and know how stuff is done and handled in, in the real world. And that's why I think shadowing is so important anyway, because like no matter how many videos or webinars or seminars you take, like you said, they're all like carefully crafted and edited. And there's there's not always as much real world element as you might want. And with shadowing, it's nothing but real world. Right. Well, is there anything else you want to include in our shadowing conversation? I'd like to do more shadowing. I want to go go places and be a shadow. Yeah. Yeah. You, you wanna you wanna come to Nashua, New Hampshire? I've done shadowing. Well, is it technically shadowing if I stand in the corner and wait for you to finish work so you can take me for food? I mean, it's not the same thing, but I mean, you watch me do a piercing while you're waiting. Yeah. Um, so I've watched you do uh, piercings before and you've you've watched me, haven't you? Like you've you've definitely watched me do piercings um, at my shop a couple of yeah, times. Yeah, and you've pierced me. Because I've had to like explain who you were because I have a private shop and it's usually just one person in and one person out. And you were just like standing quietly in a corner and I had to just be like, I can see him yeah. too. Don't worry. He's this not is Nosferatu. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I've pierced you. I've pierced you at my shop as well. Many a time, in fact. Yeah. My, my, my ball bag. And your little well, earlobes. The earlobes were harder. Earlobes. They were yeah. scarier. It's yeah. because I don't have earlobes anymore because I had Sampa cut them off. You definitely have a ball bag. I definitely do have a ball bag. That's not going anywhere. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening to yet another episode. We've got some loose plans, but we're always looking for more ideas. Uh, my, my, my goal, which I've already expressed to you, and I already know that you hate it, is my goal for 2024 is once a month, we will do a semi-deep dive episode where we'll talk about a subject and not just do interviews or like conference recaps or something. So I'm going to try to do once a month, a deep dive episode, and shadowing was the one that I picked for this one. Well, I'm not I'm not against the idea of doing a deep dive episode every month. I genuinely just grow concerned that people will uh, get sick about me talking about things, but it hasn't affected you. Right. So I should just put those. Are you asking if aside. I'm sick of you yet? No, I'm saying that you're not worried if people are sick of your voice. Well, the thing about episodes. it is I, I try to look at things on a long timeline and I'm sure that there were people that were listening to my earlier episodes that got sick of me and stopped listening. But thankfully, there's always some new piercer that's just like, oh, there's a podcast about piercing and then they join us. So welcome if you're new, if you've actually listened to all 243 episodes. Uh, thank you. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I think the other thing as well is I forget how much podcast content people consume because like one episode a month that's nothing because i oh, no. i follow like four podcasts that yeah. make really episodes and i'll i I'll listen like, to a wrestling podcast that puts out four or five pieces of content per day and it's like right. give me more give me more wrestling podcast 
Like I forget that people will be listening to this in amongst like a mountain of other things. I yeah. think it's just because it feels more recent for me that I'm like, oh, like who, who the fuck's going to want to listen to me talk about tea bags? Well, we can start like spinning off and we can talk about true crime. We can talk about heists or something. Yeah. Anyway, let's wind it down um, because you have to do a conference call and I want to make some food. So. I do. I forgot I had to do a conference call. I'm yeah. going to have to take off my Brussels sprout hat. Yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say at the end or do you want to wrap it up? Um. Thank you. Please don't cancel me for not being totally anti chamomile tea bag. It's not really, it's not that, it's not that deep. Just relax. Have a cup of tea. Chamomile tea. Anyway, thanks for listening to another episode. We'll be back at some point in the future. Bye. Bye. For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcast, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved.